Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hello. Welcome to Jewel Says. I'm Julie. If you have anything you'd like to ask me or share, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Oh my god. Abe, his brother Pete, and I watched the first two episodes of Dahmer on Netflix. Yeah, I know, I know. Even though I'm fascinated by what drives people to do such horrible things and would really like a definitive way to spot them, don't we all wish we could confidently know who to avoid? But since we can't tell for sure, we just have to be careful of all men. Hashtag not all men. Though, Dom, uh, that guy... That guy looked absolutely creepy enough that in retrospect, it does kind of seem obvious, but... Why did we watch it? The first episode was very stressful, but it showed how he was caught and the potential victim escaped. So Abe and I breathed a sigh of relief, and Abe said, oh, I'm glad this didn't depict the actual murders. Great. That we definitely don't need to see. So anyway, we went on and watched episode two, and we lost sleep. Here's a warning. It's disturbing. They do have warnings on the show that it's disturbing, and we do not want to contribute to his notoriety as if we could. He's notorious enough. But I did go on to the Netflix site to see what the rest of the 10 episodes are about because I am interested in the trial, hearing more about that hero of a neighbor, Glenda, a caring woman who had the courage to confront him to whom the police did not listen when they should have, and who pushed for a memorial to his victims. I want to hear more about her. 
I would prefer the heroes of this horror be the ones with notoriety. And Glenda is a fucking hero. So it looks like there are two episodes we could possibly watch, but definitely not the whole thing. Just warning you. And it seems as though lately we're seeing a push to not name perpetrators of violent crime. But I think human nature is to want to know so we can assure ourselves that we wouldn't have fallen for it. Which, of course, is just a way to quiet the mind, I guess. But what about the victims? They often get a passing mention, but only in the context of what happened to them. And I'm sure their families do not want their loved ones remembered that way. They deserve more than than just a passing mention in the context of the crime. And sometimes, which I think is even worse, the media will point to what the victim did to be in the situation, which is maybe just falls slightly short of victim blaming, and it's horrible. Even as far back as Jack the Ripper, whose identity has never been confirmed. And of course, that in and of itself feeds into the speculation and interest But what about his victims? They were portrayed in the media even back then as sex workers. Well, they called them prostitutes. They didn't refer to them with any dignity at all. They were prostitutes who lived rough, as though that made them somehow disposable. And the reality is, they actually weren't. Out of all five of the women, only two of them have any evidence that they ever did any sex work, and even then, it wasn't a routine for them. And even if it was their full-time job, it shouldn't matter. I read a book recently called The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper. This book respectfully talks about these women's lives and who they were, mothers, daughters, friends, real-life human beings who lived, loved, and were loved. And their stories are told in a way that gives you some real insight into the everyday trials and desperation of people who lived in the city in poverty, particularly women, in the late 19th century. It's a stark reminder, though the world today is not perfect. There are shitstorms that are never-ending. I mean, Mother Nature is enraged. You've heated me up a little too much, motherfuckers. Now take this. One-third of Pakistan is underwater. Hurricane Fiona alone has decimated so much. From Puerto Rico to eastern Canada, homes were smashed and washed out into the ocean in Canada. And that's not counting the political shitstorms. But for most of us, at least in Western society, it's a better time than ever to be alive. I almost feel guilty for being so lucky. I've been back at work since September 6th now. Well, not the 6th. They weren't actually ready for me on the 6th. So let's say the end of the day on the 7th. And I don't know. It's it's only been two and a half weeks. But sometimes you don't really realize how you're going to feel about a situation until you're actually in it. What an ingrate I am. I will take my life over a woman's life in the 19th century any time, or a woman in Iran or any of the war-torn countries for that matter. I need to constantly remind myself to be grateful. But when I decided to take a hiatus from IT contracts two years ago, I figured, well, 
I've been working full-time for 42 years, plus I raised three children, had part-time jobs along the way, and took college and university courses. So I sort of felt like I had earned some time to focus on other things, which I did. I took courses, I learned how to edit and master audio well enough to produce several audiobooks, some of which were pulled due to rights violations. That's another story which I've already told. I did some voice work. I spent a lot of time auditioning and not getting the voice work. I started writing a play with some level of seriousness, and I started this podcast. Did I love all of those things? Not not all of it. Certainly the audiobooks were a bit of a slog and quite a disappointment financially. But more importantly, I ended up working very hard at not making money, which I know a lot of people do all the time. At least I had a choice, and at least I had a cushion, so it should have been fine. But I didn't fully understand how much of my identity was wrapped up in how successful I am at my job. I bristled when Abe told people I was retired, and and I insisted that he not use that word. I wasn't retired. I was taking a hiatus. The original plan was a year to invest my time and energy into improving my ability to do the things I had previously dabbled in, but never really had the time to focus as much as I wanted to. I didn't expect to make enough money to call it making a living from any of this in such a short time. And what a gift. It ended up two years. But I said all along that I would give this 10 years, and if I couldn't transition my efforts into a new career by the time I was 72, maybe then I would retire. What I didn't realize about myself was how much I internally measured my quote-unquote success by how much money I earned. I felt genuinely guilty for not bringing in more money. Why was I surprised by that? Isn't that what the world tells us? Success equals money? Intellectually, I don't believe that, but deep down, I guess, there it was. So here I was, aging, which in and of itself society views as diminishing in value, and earning hardly any money on top of that. Double whammy. So when this contract opportunity presented itself with the right terms and the right rate, I figured I'd better get back in before it was too late. But now that I'm in it, I actually think this one will have to be my last project. Before taking that break, I was used to the pressure and the chaos because I never knew any differently. But now that I'm back... I feel it more acutely, I think because I had stepped away from it for so long. Any other time I stepped away from it, it was was so short, it was just a vacation, so I slipped right back in with no problem. And I'm already lying awake thinking about the work from the day and the work ahead. It's not just the pressure, it's, it's the chaos. Is every company in chaos? Abe and I were talking about this because he's working in... (laughs) quite a bit of chaos himself. And I think at least part of it is the result of decades of cutbacks. One person is expected to deliver the results that might have once been expected from three people. I was talking to Catherine last week about how much I hate being back already, 
quit, she said. Simple as that. But I don't like letting people down, so I will stick to this contract commitment. Really, Julie, you might say. Isn't it a bit hypocritical to say you stick to commitments when you've got a divorce? No, I did my ex a favor, so I wasn't letting him down. And I'm sure I'll feel better about this once I start getting paid, because that is part of it. I felt guilty not earning money. And I've always said if I won the lottery, I wouldn't completely quit. I would gracefully transition. Why? Because I wouldn't want to let the people I work with down. I do care about the people I work with. And everyone I've worked with so far at this new company, is they're all fantastic. They are all working so incredibly hard, harder than I have been the first two weeks. I genuinely want to help them make things better. And this company manufactures a product that helps people, which I feel very good about. Plus, I am being paid my asking hourly rate. They didn't try to get me to reduce my rate, which I appreciate. Now, the money side wasn't always so great early in my career. In one of my previous episodes, Old and Obsolete, I talked a bit about finding out that my salary was below the minimum for the salary range, which is why I eventually transitioned to a programming job. I figured if they weren't going to pay me for my expertise, I might as well start at the bottom, start over at something different. The other thing that happened back then, after pay equity was legislated, I was asked to be on an affirmative action committee at my company. I'm not sure if they called it that exactly, but it was something like that. And affirmative action hadn't become a politically charged phrase yet. They were getting input from different perspectives across the company, which, you know, solving these issues is not easy, and I have to at least give credit to an organization that tries. I genuinely got the impression that this committee was not just lip service. Did it solve all the problems? Certainly not, not entirely. But I do think it was a start to solving some of the problems. I can tell you that by the time I left that company after 28 years, I had definitely gotten raises, promotions, and bonuses and was being paid fairly in my salary range. So things definitely did change for the better. But one of the topics in these meetings that came up at the time was shift work. It was a plant. So, of course, they worked 24-hour shifts. And, of course, we had representation from shift workers on this committee. Women don't want these jobs, some of the guys said. How did they know? Were the jobs open to women? And even if it were, it would never have occurred to me to apply for one of those plant jobs. But honestly, that's because I grew up in a society that deemed office work acceptable for women. So the plant jobs were out of sight and out of mind. They don't all require a huge amount of physical strength. I kind of felt as though I was being rebellious enough going into IT because that was very much male-dominated. But because the IT jobs were also in the office, I had exposure to what those jobs might be like. And not all women are like me. I know women who hate the idea of working in an office. One of Abe's sisters was a truck driver years ago. But of course, once she had children, she couldn't be on the road. Maybe she liked that job, but her children's father wasn't about to hold down the fort while mom was trucking around the country. 
society really didn't allow for it. And we just always accepted that mom's priority had to be the children in the home. So, yeah, maybe women don't often want those jobs. But why? I think it's more likely because the possibility just didn't occur to us. When you think about it, how do women manage to be nurses if they don't want to work shift? I asked the guys, why don't men want the administrative office jobs? If you think those jobs are so easy, why don't you want those jobs? The immediate response, with no hesitation, was, they don't pay enough. Well, I said, maybe that's the crux of the problem. Women were willing to take the low-paying jobs because that was what we thought was available to us. Now that companies often don't have administrative staff, though, they're paying the high earners to handle the administrative work. We used to have someone whose job was to schedule meetings, organize business trips, take minutes at meetings. They were paid less than the others at the table. Now someone else at the meeting has to do it or it doesn't happen, which is a waste of time because how are people supposed to remember what was agreed to, what they need to follow up with, and when, if it's not in writing and organized and tracked? So administrative work is certainly well-paid now, except the people doing it aren't necessarily very good at it because that's not the core job that they hold. I think there's an argument for bringing back administrative personnel and paying them properly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Then, of course, the argument comes up about the best person for the job. Are you really attracting the best people for a job by limiting the world's thinking of who should and should not or cannot do the job? So much of what I believed was impossible for me was based on how I was raised. I was raised to believe that the best job I could possibly aspire to would be an accountant. And though that's not what I ended up doing, I guarantee you my mindset was limited to office work 
And I assumed growing up that I would be responsible for children and a home and that I wouldn't have to earn a living. I assumed a a job outside the home would be optional and any money I made would be just extra for my family. That's genuinely what I thought when I was very young. And certainly a lot of men of my generation grew up assuming they would have to be the breadwinner, whether they wanted that pressure or not, and that their responsibilities at home were limited to outdoor maintenance, if that. Any attention they paid to the family, the children, and interior of the home would be a favor to their wives. These expectations send powerful messages to children whose ideas about themselves and their place in the world are just forming. I've always said, and I even said it back then, I'm sure I said it in the meeting, that men and women will never be truly equal in the workplace until men and women are truly equal in the home. I had a friend in the 80s who would periodically threaten to leave her husband because she had to tell him what needed to be done at home. At the time, I couldn't understand it. He would do it, I argued, in his defense. But I shouldn't have to tell him, she insisted. He's an adult. He shouldn't rely on me to think of everything. Years later, I see her point. It takes a lot of mental energy to plan, organize, and delegate every single thing for the household, and then to follow up to make sure it actually happens. Thank goodness that's changing. And the bonus? The men get the joy and the pleasure of better relationships with their children. And the children benefit from having closer relationships with their dads. I just think it's better for everyone if all of us are engaged in all of these responsibilities. And I think businesses would also run more efficiently if we brought some administrative assistance back. There are a lot of people who think employees demand too much money. And I do think... That's probably true for many of the C-suite executives. I just find it hard to believe that any one human being is really worth millions of dollars annually, a signing bonus plus a sweet severance clause. How, How can they be worth that much? Then those same people look down at the people like me and you, probably you, in the trenches doing the work and say, nah, we don't need you or you or you, and you're being paid way too much. How can they think earning 80000 a year is too much when they're being paid millions? I think a lot of people at that level lose sight of how expensive it is to just live a regular middle-class life, and a lot of them have no idea what's involved in doing the actual work. My father, Ted, used to always say, well, what the hell's the matter with you? You can do that in 10 minutes. He had no idea. He'd never done any of the things he claimed could be done in 10 minutes. It was all theoretical or an idea to him. One friend of ours made a good point about expertise, though, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I don't remember exactly what he said. He basically said, you're not paying me for the 10 minutes to turn the valve. You're paying me to know which valve to turn. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I keep that in mind when recruiters try to get me to lower my rate. I'm being paid to know what to do, and I work very hard to enable the client's staff to do that work effectively so they can stop paying me. 
You're paying me to go away. It's as simple as that. But back to my beginner job as a programmer, I started in a Unisys mainframe, fourth-generation proprietary language called Mapper. The first month of that job, I felt as though my brain would explode. I was exhausted at the end of the day, and I genuinely felt as though my skull needed to expand because my brain was swelling. It made me think, is, is this how people feel when they have to speak a foreign language all day? Because reading and writing code is a language, and the syntax has to be perfect or nothing will work. Every period, every comma, every semicolon, every character in that code means something. And we didn't have the internet then. The technology didn't include hints and syntax checks when you were actually writing the code. You didn't get any of that until you tried to generate it and then went through errors. The manuals were huge printed books, like huge tomes. Most of us lament about the imperfections of technology. I do the same, and it's not perfect, but having no technology was incredibly arduous. You had to figure everything out from reading physically printed manuals. Imagine, when I was supporting mainframe communications, when there was a system error, a major system error that caused uh, uh, the system to stop, there would be, it would produce a dump, which is essentially a dump of all the system information at the time of the crash or the stoppage. I would have to wait for it to be printed on these huge green and white continuous feed pages and then pour over it to figure out the root cause and try and resolve the issues. The printouts were several inches high. The dump content was largely in hexadecimal format with a few English language comments, you know, to differentiate various sections. So next time you feel frustrated with technology, just Try to remind yourself that flawed technology is still preferable to no technology at all. Now we just type anything we want in Google search to find answers. Documentation is in electronic format, so we can get solutions so much more quickly than we could back then. I eventually became pretty good at mapper programming because you get good at what you do. And then in 1996, the company implemented SAP, which is a big business integrated system and the same software I work on to this day. My start on the SAP project was data conversion and application layer security and provisioning. I wasn't doing SAP programming yet, but I had to implement processes to export the data from the old systems into a central repository, and format it so that it aligned with SAP format for import, for the data conversion. The old systems included IBM, Unisys, and DEC mainframes. Plus, we had, we had some smaller processes that maintained their data pretty much on spreadsheets. I think we had 49 different general ledgers at the time. It was a global company that had evolved over the years with a number of mergers and acquisitions. So there was a there was a huge variety of processes and systems that were used, and we were consolidating all of that into one. 
Of course, there are more sophisticated data transformation tools available today, but back then, it was my job to come up with the tools and the methodology to transform the data from its original state to the common SAP format. I had to work with a programmer. All the data conversion programs had to be written from scratch, and the error rate was high. I mean, it it was just, it was unacceptably high. Pretty much half the entries had errors, which if you have 10,000 entries and half of them are problematic, you can't, that's not manageable. At the time, I wasn't doing SAP programming, so I couldn't help with that. But at some point, the data conversion programmer was replaced, thank God, by Jim, a programmer who actually knew what he was doing. And our error rate plummeted to less than 2%, which is as expected because you're going to have a certain amount of data inconsistency in an old system. The bottom line, though, Jim saved the day on the data conversion. And that's just one example of why a good programmer or a developer who can listen to and understand the requirements is critical. So many of these high-level decision makers just think they need someone who can write code quickly, and they're so wrong. I cannot tell you how many times I have had to rewrite code that produced incorrect results, or it was full of errors, it didn't have error reporting, or it just completely failed to run entirely. And I'm not the only one. Any good developer will tell you they've had to do the same. I forget when I started programming in SAP's ABAP language, but believe me, programming is infinitely more gratifying than it looks. It is actually creative. You come up with ideas on how to do things more efficiently. You save people from repetitive manual tasks. You reduce human error, free people up to do other more important or more interesting or value-added things. You prevent losses and lawsuits that can result from incorrect data. When I'm programming, I get into a zone where I lose all track of time and space. I hear nothing around me. You just become completely absorbed. That's how interesting it can be. One of the things when I was sharing a cubicle with Sprinkles, he used to say, I don't like Coder Julie because I was so focused. It was like he didn't exist. I'm very good at focusing and tuning out noise. Am I one of the best programmers in the world? No, absolutely not. I've worked with a lot of people who are much more technical than I am and much more interested in technology than I am. If you love what you're doing, it's only natural that you will get very good at it. But I understand business processes. I'm good at connecting with the people who know the business side and working with them to clearly define their requirements and then delivering. And I don't just take technical specifications or requirements and blindly code what I have. As I work through the requirements in the program, I'm constantly thinking about other scenarios and asking the questions. What about this? Have you thought of that? Could we do it this way? How would this work for you? While we're in here, do you think it makes sense to include these other things? Plus, I document. I include comments in the code and never write anything without documentation. 
So many people view documentation as an afterthought, a nice-to-have frill, something they don't want to do. At the end of the project, they've run out of time and money to document, whereas I view documentation as part of the ongoing process, and it's my ticket to freedom. If I've documented something well, it's so much easier for someone else to take over, and I want that. When it comes to non-business technology, though, I'm a failure. It always mystified my children that I work in IT, yet I was and still am pretty much useless when it comes to social media or any of the personal fun technology. But I don't own anything Apple. I don't take the time to figure out how personal apps and filters and all that stuff work. I'm terrible at it. If I really wanted to, I guess I could focus on it and learn, but I just haven't. Plus, I really do not trust the privacy standards. I'm leery about downloading things. All these apps are cyber-stalking you all the time. Every app you download and install wants access to your contacts, your location, and then some. And if you deny any of the permissions, the app won't install. Ugh. I got sucked into installing a game because I wanted to play with Violet, but then I just never ended up using it. It just, ugh. I'm already cyber-stalked more than I care to be, so I'm quite judicious about downloading apps or filters or add-ons or anything like that. <laughs> boomer. Yeah, I'm a boomer. I was born in 1960. And on top of that, I'm just a corporate muggle after all. Thank you for listening. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Have a fabulous week. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.